Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to Sibylline's podcast series. I'm Liana Semchuk, Lead Europe and Eurasia Analyst, and I'm joined today by Alex Lord, our Europe and Eurasia Analyst, as well as Louis Cox Brousseau, our Europe Analyst, to discuss the upcoming 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference, known as COP26, which will take place in Glasgow between 31st of October and 12th of November. Alex, Louis, thank you both for joining me. So we've heard a lot about COP26 in a build-up to the summit, but could you please briefly explain what this event is, why it matters, and what exactly are the challenges that the summit hopes to tackle? More importantly, what are the world leaders hoping COP26 will achieve? Thanks, Liana. So COP26 marks another conference of the parties drawing together all our United Nations members to discuss growing climate crisis. So COP26 is something of a watershed moment for global climate conferences, um, being the 26th uh, edition of uh, the Conference of the Parties, uh, attracting UN members from all over the world. Uh, it marks the five-year anniversary of the Paris Agreement coming into force in late 2016, and will therefore be seen by many as a moment of accountability for national governments worldwide. Uh, furthermore, COP26 will be held barely three months after the publication of the IPCC's 2021 report, in which the main goal of the Paris Agreement or limiting global warming to below two degrees Celsius is deemed to have failed. So as such, we're likely to see global leaders at COP26 advocating for new, fresh, ambitious action plans in order to tackle the growing climate crisis. Whether these plans can actually be formulated into cohesive and collaborative agreements that will be accepted by the majority of world leaders attending is is a very different question, given that in the first instance, COP26 will likely not be attended by all UN leaders. However, more generally, pressure from climate activist groups, NGOs and leaders of countries, particularly hard hit by climate change, is very likely to be substantial. So regardless, world leaders will want to be seen to be making agreements, even if such agreements can't necessarily paper over the failure of the past five years to make good on the Paris Agreement's targets. Thank you, Louis. So as you mentioned, there is definitely significant pressure for the summit to reach some sort of a consensus. However, notably, some major world leaders, including from Russia and potentially from China, have suggested that they will not be attending. Given that these countries represent some of the world's largest polluters, what are some potential implications and how will their possible non-attendance impact climate policy moving forward? Alex, do you have any thoughts on this? Thanks, Liana. Yeah, so obviously, given the aim of the summit is to establish some sort of global consensus on climate policy, the absence of major world leaders would inevitably raise serious concerns about the viability of any decision reached at the summit. Now, as you mentioned, Liana, Russia's Vladimir Putin is the most high profile leader to confirm that he will not be attending the summit. Now, Russia is actually currently the fourth largest emitter of CO2 in the world, being as it is heavily reliant on fossil fuel energy exports. I think it's interesting to note that the recent IPCC report, which Louis mentioned, um, highlighted that Russia is actually likely to suffer the adverse effects of climate change at a faster rate than most other regions of the world, with melting permafrost in particular, likely to cause major issues for Russia's industrial sectors, for example. Now, while Putin announced earlier this month that Russia will strive, in his words, for carbon neutrality by 2060, the Kremlin has traditionally remained highly sceptical of the energy transition and of wider efforts to enforce climate goals, such as the EU's planned carbon border tax, which will hit Russian exports particularly hard. 
So I think Putin's decision not to attend is not especially encouraging, considering the need for global consensus and a, a broader willingness to make difficult economic decisions during the energy transition. Now, you also mentioned China. It's at the moment, it's unclear whether uh, China's Xi Jinping will attend the, the summit or not. But if he doesn't, I think his absence will similarly raise concerns over China's long-term commitment to major change, particularly as Beijing currently deals with its own domestic energy crisis that has actually led to an increase in coal production and reliance on coal-fueled power stations. So I think if the leaders of the first and the fourth largest emitters in the world don't join the summit, it will not only undermine the likelihood of a genuine consensus emerging, but I think will also underline how geopolitical tensions between East and West will continue to stifle multilateral engagement on not only climate policy, but other issues and topics as well. Thank you, Alex. And surely also given the nature of the summit and the potential non attendance of some of these major players that you mentioned, there will be significant engagement from environmental activist groups, most notably rebellion. Um, what can we expect to see in terms of activism during COP26 and what impact will it have? Yeah, absolutely. So COP26 undoubtedly retains a singular importance to environmentalist groups, uh, like you said, Extinction Rebellion, but also Greenpeace, Fridays for Future, and many others. Now, these groups view the summit as very much a make or break opportunity to mitigate the, the adverse effects of climate change. And as such, the outcome of the summit takes on very much an existential importance to the future of the planet. So we're expecting to see potentially the high watermark of environmental activism in the UK during the upcoming summit. Now, thousands of activists are expected to journey to Glasgow uh, with numerous mass demonstrations, direct actions and stunts planned across not only the city of Glasgow itself, but across the UK and Europe as well during the course of the summit. These protests and disruptions are to be expected throughout the 12-day summit, but the key date to watch, I think, if we want to pick out one, will be the 6th of November during the so-called Global Day of Action. Um, now, XR and the COP26 coalition of activists will lead mass protests through the streets of Glasgow, but solidarity rallies are expected in all major cities in Europe, but particularly in the UK, with major demonstrations um, expected in London. Now, given environmentalist, the environmentalist group Insulate Britain has recently caused massive disruption um, on British motorways in recent weeks, I think we can expect to see significant travel disruption across the country during the summit, particularly as the group Insulate Britain has only this week defied an injunction brought against them by the government. And so similar actions and blockades are very likely, irrespective of the threat of arrest, um, which the injunction brings. I think it's important to note, though, that in recent months, we have seen more proactive policing tactics uh, during activist demonstrations in the UK. So XR's August Rebellion in London, for example, it failed to create as widespread disruption as their earlier 2019 pre-lockdown protests did, mostly because police actively preempted blockades and as such limited the scope for mass disruption that they would cause. Now, this ultimately, however, has forced groups like XR to react. And so while policing tactics and the very strong security presence in Glasgow itself will likely mitigate the risk of some blockades materialising, I think greater secrecy and spontaneity on the part of activists will mean direct actions will also be harder to predict during the summit. While much um, activist anger will be directed at lobbying national governments and demanding changes to public climate policies, 
the private sector will inevitably also be seen as a major target for protests um, and potentially more disruptive direct action. So XR in particular will likely target not only traditional fossil fuel and energy companies, but also the financial sector and increasingly other industries they accuse of complicity in the climate crisis and also of greenwashing. Ultimately, I think it's important to keep in mind that activists are already looking beyond um, COP26, with many activists very sceptical that the summit will result in any meaningful change in their view. So if the summit is perceived to have been a failure, I can foresee it representing an escal a potential escalation point for some activists. I think increasing activist exasperation towards politicians may lead some radical elements on the fringes to consider more openly disruptive or potentially dangerous tactics, um, including potentially against the private sector. Thank you, Alex. So definitely a lot of direct activism related implications, demonstrations and possible disruption to look out for during the summit and, and potentially beyond. Um, and what about policy risk? Louis, how, how do you think uh, COP26 will influence green policies and regulations in 2022 and, and beyond? What should we be looking out for and where? Yeah, it's a good question. It's particularly interesting given that it's still far from clear that we, we will see widespread policy unity uh, arise from, from COP26. What we can be relatively certain of, particularly in Europe, given that Green parties are becoming increasingly popular among the national electorates, it is likely that we'll see more and more pressure on big businesses to reduce contributions to greenhouse gas emissions and also to contribute more meaningfully to climate vulnerable developing countries, especially around the Mediterranean. This could take several forms. As we're beginning to see already, companies perceived by consumers to contribute to high levels of greenhouse gas emissions are much more likely to be targeted by activist groups, as Alex has mentioned, both online and in person. And this kind of quote-unquote name and shame behaviour is actually quite likely to increase throughout 2022, whether or not COP26 sees a substantial accord reached in uh, international policy. More generally, assuming that we do see some form of unity reached at COP26, Firms, particularly in Europe, in the energy, finance and travel industries are quite likely to, to face growing pressure to source sustainable and green options for their clients. Cohesion among national governments in the EU on climate is likely to become more and more apparent in 2022, particularly as large countries such as Germany, who is likely to see for the first time the Green Party enter into a ruling coalition, take the lead more on uh, climate issues. More practically, we might see more sporadic attempts to introduce climate-friendly policy elsewhere in Europe, possibly in southern Europe, where the impact of severe weather events possibly linked to climate change is beginning to have much more substantial knock-on impacts on socio-economic health, driving unemployment and risk to business operations. This may be an area where we see more drastic policies enacted whether or not COP26 sees particular agreement reached. And it's likely that any policies here would, would be uh, agreed upon outside of the, of the Paris Agreement frameworks and uh, some works on the initiative of national governments acting by themselves. This is a harder area to uh, foresee, obviously. We're, we're hoping to cover this in a forthcoming special report on the IPCC 2020-2021 report, but it's something which we'll really have to wait and see how it develops. Great. Thank you both for taking the time to discuss this very high-profile event. For further information about COP26 and wider business implications of climate-related risk, please refer to our recent initial threat assessment and the upcoming climate special reports. We're now joined by Anastasia Chisholm, our Associate Middle East and North Africa Analyst, to discuss some key events to look out for in the week ahead. Towards the end of this week, Israel plans to send a delegation to the US to justify its ban on six Palestinian rights groups over their alleged ties to the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. 
The move has been criticized by UN, US and EU officials, as well as by human rights groups due to its implications for Palestinian civil society and human rights promotion. Meanwhile, Japan's ruling coalition, the Liberal Democratic Party and Komeito, will aim to maintain its majority in the lower house during the 31st of October general election. Overall, there's a low likelihood of the ruling coalition losing a significant number of seats during the lower house contests, which is likely to lower the risk of Japan's pro-business policies being changed in the immediate future. Also, South Africa will hold local government elections on the 1st of November, during which President Cyril Ramaphosa has declared a public holiday to encourage voter participation. In Peru, President of the Council of Ministers, Merta Vasquez, will seek a vote of confidence in Congress on the 4th of November, requiring a simple majority of six votes. Part of ruling party Peru Libre has hinted that it would not support the confidence vote, threatening the need to appoint a new cabinet and potentially driving government instability. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like further information about anything that has been discussed today, please contact us at info.co.uk. Thank you.